Blog Talk Radio. to go for it. I am your host, Paul Gann. For the next hour, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show, blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. The messages to the show, on Twitter at Go For Gant. Hit us up on Facebook at Go For Gant. G O F O R I T G A N T. So you can hit us up on Facebook. You can hit us up on GoForRadio.com. You can listen to us on Blog Talk Radio. You can listen to us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio. So there's a lot of places to check out. The Go For It podcast. We were expected to have Hall of Famer Willie Rofe on today. He had some issues in terms of his flight. He was in Kansas City last night. So we're going to get him next week. So we'll, we'll get Willie in next week to talk about what he saw last week or last night, I should say, in Kansas City. What a game. What a football game that we saw on Thursday night. I will say, as a whole, the Thursday night football games have been better. No teams really should be playing on Thursday after playing on Sunday. But again, the Thursday matchups have been better. And so, and last night was no different. It was a good football game that came down to the end. And here's the thing. The Chargers, I, I think we've always talked about the Chargers in terms of the talent that's on that roster. That's always, that's been a talented roster for the last couple of years. Obviously, you have a Hall of Fame quarterback in Phillip Rivers, who's pretty much done everything except get to a Super Bowl. You know, he's pretty much done everything. He's a big-time quarterback making big-time plays. But you look at Phillip Rivers and the Chargers throughout the course, well, last year at least, they found some crazy ways to lose some football games. You know, they, they just they just were snake bit. This season, you know, this team is, is, is playing some big-time football and going into some hostile environments and beating some good football teams. I mean, you look at uh, a couple of weeks ago when they went into uh, Pittsburgh and, you know, being down all those points and able to go in Pittsburgh and come back and beat the Steelers, a very good football team in the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know they're on a losing streak, but they're a good football team, and I do expect them to beat New England. Actually, they play the Patriots on Sunday, and I expect them to beat the Patriots on Sunday, but it's a very talented Steelers football team. And they went into Pittsburgh, came back, and beat the Steelers. I believe they what, down 23-6 to at one point. So they went into Pittsburgh, and they handled their business in Pittsburgh. And then, you know, obviously they beat the Bengals last week at home. 
and then they go into Kansas City, down by two touchdowns with about four, you know, late in the game. And they were able to come on back. They were able to get a touchdown, stop that vaunted Kansas City Chiefs offense, get the ball back, and were able to score another touchdown. And then they had a decision to make. And that decision was whether or not you go for two or you kick the extra point and try to win it in overtime. They decided that they had an opportunity right then and there. Anthony Lynn and those boys, Anthony Lynn, he decided that they had an opportunity right then and there to get the W, get the victory. And that's what they did. That's what they did. So with three minutes and 49 seconds left, they were down two touchdowns. But they found a way. They got into the end zone twice and then hit the two-point conversion, which is probably the easiest of all. Mike Williams was wide open. Wide open. Mix up there in coverage. Mike Williams went clean and into the end zone. And call it a touchdown. So this this was a game now. With now these two teams are tied at eleven and three. They're both tied at eleven and three, but the Chiefs hold the tiebreaker. So if the Chiefs went out and the Chargers went out, the Chiefs would win the AFC West. But there's going. You could conceivably have a, a situation where you have a 13-3 and football team playing a wild card weekend. I mean, that is very conceivable that that happens. I mean, that's legitimate. These are two very good football teams, and these two very good football teams easily could win their next two football games. So you could have a situation 13 and 3, the 13 and 3 Chargers or Chiefs playing in a wild card round. But, well, it wouldn't be the Chiefs because the Chiefs, if they tie, would um, ultimately win the tiebreaker. But So it could be a situation where the 13 and 3 Chargers, that's the only way that would, scenario would play out. It could be a situation where the 13 and 3 Chargers. Could be a wild card team. That's crazy. That is crazy. The 13 and char- three Chargers going on the road for a wild card weekend. But the Chargers, they have the Ravens at home, and then they travel to Denver. Always a tough place to play. Always a tough place to play. The Denver Broncos are not an easy football team to beat in Denver. So, ask the Chiefs who went in there. They beat the the Broncos, but, man, that was a tough football game. Ask the the Steelers who went in there, but they lost to the Denver Broncos. That's a tough team to beat in Denver. That altitude, all those things. You know, their fan base, tough. Tough, 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 tough. Ask the Seahawks who went into Denver and couldn't get it done. So 
a lot of things are going to happen. A lot of things have to happen in the next few weeks before we determine and decide who's going to be the champions of the AFC West. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Chiefs have at Seattle, and then they have the Raiders at home. Seattle's playing some good football right now. You know, team fighting for their playoff lives. And, you know, they're in the playoffs. The playoffs were the end start today. But Seattle's a tough team to beat in Seattle. So that's not going to be easy for the Chiefs. And then they got the Raiders. That's a game they most definitely should win. But the, at Seattle's going to be interesting. But I think coming off a loss, the way they have or the way they did uh, against the Chargers, I think the uh, Chiefs will be ready. And I look for the Chiefs to win that football game. I know we're a couple weeks out, but I, I look – to me, the Chiefs coming off that tough loss, I see them going in there and getting that W in Seattle. But we'll see. But last night, you just look at this Chiefs football team, and obviously the offense is prolific. Obviously they put up a lot of numbers, a lot of points. But that defense is suspect. And the as scary – as great as that offense is, that defense is is equally bad. It, you know, equally scary, I guess, but in a bad way. I mean, that offense at Kansas City is scary in a good way, at least for the Chiefs. But their defense is, is bad and, is, and it's scary. Because the reality is we look at this Chiefs team and we look at some of the teams you know, the, the, the tough teams that they've, they, you know, they've lost to. You know, you look at the Patriots in New England. That was a shootout, 43 to 40. That was a lot of points posted on the board. Both teams, that was a shootout. But Tom Brady and the, and the, the New England Patriots had the ball last, and it was one of those games where he – who went last is who would have won that football game, and that's what happened. So, they, you know, the game was tied at 40, but unfortunately they had to give the ball back to New England and Tom Brady, and Tom Brady uh, led the, the Patriots on a drive to set up a field goal, and they win that game. Obviously, if you're the Chiefs, you don't want your defense on the field when it's winning time. You don't want the defense on the field when you have to make a play to win because that defense, as we've seen to this point, that defense is not capable of shutting anybody down, especially Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, especially Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams, especially Bill Rivers and the Los Angeles Chargers. So this team is a football team that while they're great on offense, they're bad on defense. And they're really bad. They're not good. It was a questionable pass interference call there in the end zone. I think that was on Kendall Fuller. You know, that was that was questionable. But hey, today's NFL, there's a lot of questionable calls. 
there's a lot of calls that you see out there. You're like, man, what is that? And we saw that last week in Dallas with Philadelphia against the Cowboys, the Eagles and the Cowboys, and some of the questionable calls that we saw there. But it's the new NFL. And in the new NFL, there's it's the new normal now. And I think we as fans have to try to get used to the new normal because there's a new normal, and what we thought wasn't a penalty is a penalty at this point. And, some, and in some respect, it defies common sense. But we see those plays in slow motion. They see it fast and live and in living color. So they see guys running four threes, four fours coming at you, and they got to determine and figure out in you know a split second whether or not he caught it or not. They have to determine in a split second whether he used his shoulder, he led with his shoulder pad or led with his head. They have to determine all those things, and on some level, the job of an NFL official is pretty darn near impossible at this point. It, it, it's darn near impossible to be an NFL referee today, especially with all these different rules, because these rules aren't, they're not dummy-proof. These rules defy logic. These rules don't all make sense. And it goes against the way we've seen and the way we viewed NFL football. So we'll see what happens. But let me let me let's go back to the you know I kind of got sidetracked a little bit. But let, let let let's go back to the to the Chiefs and the Chargers. The San Diego Chargers. I keep saying San Diego. Saying that, you lost Stephen A. on me. The Los Angeles Chargers. The Los Angeles Chargers. They're going to be a tough out for anybody. This is a talented football team. And, and, you know, they went out there minus, you know, their big-time back. They were out without, you know, their big-time running back, Melvin Gordon. They were out. They were uh, without Keenan Allen for a good part of that football game. So they were out, you know, arguably their best wide receiver and, and you know, their big-time elite back. They were without their, their their two big guns on the offensive side of football, and they still got it done. I think we could start to make – somewhat of an argument that this Charger football team is better than the Chiefs. It's more balanced than the Chiefs. We look at the Chiefs, and we just look at offense. That defense is putrid. It can't stop me, you, and, ten, and, and, and nine of our other friends. They're bad. So here's the thing. Your defense has a better chance of traveling than your offense. Offense doesn't always travel, but it looks like this Chiefs offense will. But offense doesn't always travel. It doesn't. 
for the most part, defense does. Travels. You're the Chiefs. At this point, you're 11 and 3. And again, if you went out, you're good. You're, you're straight if you went out. If you don't, if you don't, and there's a possibility that you won't, if you don't, you become a wild card team. So you can go from what? The first seed all the way down to the fifth seed. One loss. And that's if the Chargers went out. But if the Chiefs have, it's not all bad in, in, in Kansas City. If the Chiefs handle their business and went out, they'll have home field advantage throughout. Patriots have four losses. Texans with four losses. And, and, and then we look at that Patriots because the Patriots beat the Chiefs and they hold the, the head-to-head against the Chiefs. But the reality is if Kansas City wins, they have home field advantage throughout. And, you know, obviously if you're a team and, then, and, and you don't have to, you don't want to have to go to Arrowhead. You don't want to go to Arrowhead. And, and, at this, and on the same token, if you're a team – you don't want to go to Foxborough to face those New England Patriots. Anywhere else, I think you, you might be open to. You might be open. And, uh, obviously, the Steelers, they're, they're not going to get home field throughout. And the Texans have a better chance than the Steelers. And they'll probably not get they, – they probably won't get home field throughout. Excuse me. Even uh, the Patriots at this point. But I'm saying, two places you probably don't want to go to, that's New England, that's Kansas City. And the Chargers, here's the thing about the Chargers. I think if I'm the teams in the AFC, I want the Chargers to get home field advantage because here's the reality. Do they really have a home field advantage? Do they really have a fan base in Los Angeles? Not really. I, I can remember this was last year when the Eagles went into San Diego. And, and they went into San Diego and you know, that was a a big – there was a big Eagle contingent there. And you almost thought, based off what you heard from the fans and the way they were cheering, that it was a home game for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what you thought. And so I say that to say this. There's not a big home field advantage in – Los Angeles with the Chargers. And, and let's be honest, they should never have left San Diego. I mean, I think that's a bad, awful mistake for the Chargers to have left San Diego. Just awful. I mean, let's be honest. Does, does, does Los Angeles really, really deserve or, or, or need to have a football team because you know they went years, you know, after the Raiders and Rams left. They went years without football and you never got the sense that they missed it. They love their Lakers in, 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 in Los Angeles. They love their Dodgers in Los Angeles. But do they really love the Rams and the and, and the Chargers? I mean I can understand them loving the Rams more than the Chargers because the Rams were there before. But the Chargers, I mean there's no reason for, for them to leave San Diego. Yeah, it's not, yeah, 
uh, you want to get stadium money and all that good stuff. I get all that. I get the money part. But in terms of just, you know, fan bases, there's no way the Chargers should have ever left San Diego. That's another topic for another day. But anyway, there's not a big home field advantage in San Diego. And because there's not a big home field advantage in San Diego, there are there's a good chance that you can go in there, especially if you have a, a fan base that travels, there's a chance you can go in there. You know, Kansas City may be able to go in there and, you know, their fan base travels. You know, they, they can go in there and, and do what they got to do. Pittsburgh, most definitely, they travel like no other. So if the Steelers go into San Diego, I think they would have a level of confidence being that their fan base travels. There's Steelers fans everywhere. Everywhere. But San Diego's a very talented football team. They got playmakers on both sides of the football. And, you know, those playmakers on both sides of the football, to me, you know, the, the Chargers are going to be a difficult out. They're going to be a tough out. And, uh, you know, whoever gets them in the playoffs, it won't be easy. So let's move on. It's been a while since I've been on here. It's been a while since I've been able to talk sports and have fun doing it. But I'm here. And, you know, a lot is going on. One of the things that has gone on is, is, is the situation with Markel Fultz in the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, we've been wondering and, and, and trying to figure out what's wrong with this guy. Does he have the yips? Is it physical? Is it mental? What is wrong with this guy? Is, is he 100%? Is he not 100%? Is he hurt mentally? Is he hurt physically? We don't know. But we finally, the, the Sixers, not the Sixers, the agent for Markel Fultz said, you know what? Let's stop this. Let, let, let's stop this now. And let's get this guy to a bunch of different specialists. And let's see what really is good with this guy. Let's see what's really wrong with Markel Fultz. And in the midst of doing that, in the midst of figuring all these things out, in the midst of going to about 10 specialists reportedly, and, and you know, going to all different types of states, going all over the country, we have finally figured out what the heck is wrong with Markel Fultz? According to, you know, his doctors, it wasn't physical. It wasn't physical. It was thoracic outlet syndrome. And thoracic outlet syndrome is a group of disorders that occur when blood vessels or nerves in the space between your collarbone and your first rib, which is your thoracic outlet, are compressed. This, and this is according to the Mayo Clinic, this can cause pain in your shoulders and neck and numbness in your fingers. Common causes of thoracic outlet syndrome include physical trauma from a car accident, repetitive injuries from job or sports-related activities, Certain anatomical defects, such as having an extra rib, 
in pregnancy. But he's not pregnant, right? <laughs> sometimes doctors can determine the cause of thoracic outlet syndrome. Excuse me, sometimes thoracic, excuse me, sometimes doctors can't determine the cause of thoracic outlet syndrome. Treatment for thoracic outlet syndrome usually involves physical therapy and pain relief measures. Most, most people improve with these approaches. In some cases, however, your doctor may recommend surgery. Now, the treatment plan for the Philadelphia 76ers or, or, or Markel Fultz's team, the, the plan that they devised was him to go get some therapy out there in Los Angeles and reportedly could be out three to six weeks. And I think, I, here's the thing, as a lifelong Philadelphia 76ers fan, I'm rooting for Markel Fultz. But if I wasn't a lifelong 76ers fan, I still would root for Markel Fultz because just watch his college video. Go to YouTube. If you're, you're at the sound of my voice, go to YouTube.com, click in Markel Fultz college highlights and watch his college highlights. And then watch the guy we've seen the last two seasons in the NBA. It's night and day. It is night and day. The confidence that he played with, the swagger that he played with, was it was totally different than the dude that we see now. It's night and it's literally night and day. He played with a swagger in college. He played with a confidence. His jumper was 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 wet. It, it was a it's, his jumper was good. He had range. He doesn't have that now. He doesn't have that. And I don't, you know, but I don't know what the Sixers medical team, you know, I don't know what's going on with them and, you know, why they couldn't figure this out. And, and I know this can be a difficult thing, you know, to, to, to detect. And so they weren't able to detect what exactly was going on with this guy. And so it was maybe, you know, if everything turns out the way we hope it turns out, maybe it was a good idea for his agent, Raymond Brothers, to, to shut him down and figure what the heck is going on. What is really, really good with this whole situation? What truly is wrong with Markel Fultz? And now, I'm hoping that, you know, after he goes through his rehab, that he's 100%. Because I think if he's 100%, Markel Fultz can play. I think Markel Fultz can play if he's right. I think he can play. And because to me, he's shown some flashes, and he doesn't even have a jump shot. He shows some flashes without a jump shot. You know, he's pretty much playing with one hand tied behind his back, basically, because everything was to the basket. He had a little mid-range. He had nothing behind the three-point arc. And when he was in college, he was able to shoot. 
the three ball, and I know it's a little closer, but at the end of the day, he was able to shoot the three ball effortlessly. And so now, you know, you watch him shoot the three ball, and it was, he knew, even though he worked with Drew Hanlon in the offseason, you know, Drew Hanlon, what, put a tweet out there a few weeks ago, and I know he's not working with Drew Hanlon now, but Drew Hanlon put a, a, a tweet out there a few weeks ago talking about, you know, he's not healthy. Basically saying that Markel wasn't healthy at this point. And so, you know, we want to, we know he shot all the jumpers in the summer and, you know, he, he put the work in. But even when you watched his stroke, it still wasn't, it wasn't right. It, it wasn't right. And so, at this point, being that his jump shot is not right, being that his jump shot is not right, again, he was doing, he was pretty much playing with his arms tied behind his back. I mean, he, he was playing without a weapon, one of his weapons. He was bringing a knife to a gunfight, essentially. He was out there but he was missing a big part, a big piece of who he was. So here's the thing, and here's also the thing, and from my standpoint, Philadelphia, with the acquisition of Jimmy Butler, they have time now to, they, they have, they're in a situation where they don't have to rush Markel Fultz. I, I think they're in that situation Again, could they use an additional talent? Could they use a talent like Markel Fultz? They can. If he's right, he's, he's useless at this point because he's not right. But if he's right, he's very valuable. He's very valuable. He's very useful. And he can definitely help the Philadelphia 76ers. But that's only if he's right. And we've seen, at this point, a guy who's not right. But let's, let's go to the Philadelphia 76ers and talk about the addition of Jimmy Butler. Because to me, Jimmy Butler was that piece that was missing last year against the Boston Celtics. Granted, the Boston Celtics weren't at full strength, but the Philadelphia 76ers and I've always said if Markel Fultz is right, his skill set what was what was missing with the Philadelphia 76ers last year. His ability to take guys off the bounce was something that the Philadelphia 76ers missed. They didn't have that guy that can take you off the bounce. They didn't have that guy who could create his own shot outside of Embiid and Simmons. And when you talk about Ben Simmons, you talk about a guy who doesn't have a jump shot. Now, he's still an elite point guard. He's still able to put points on the board. He's still able to be an effective player. He's still able to be, uh, what, close to an all-star type player, if not a all-star, an all-star player. But he doesn't have a jump shot, and that was exposed against the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics took advantage of his inability to shoot a jump shot. They took away 
the drive. They took away the things that he did best. They took those away. And in the process of taking it away, they made him ineffective on some level. They made him ineffective on some level. But in the midst of all that, looking at that whole situation, you had nobody else that could do it off the bounce. Robert Covington, streaky, but not a guy who could do it off the bounce. Not a guy who is creating his own shot like that. Dario Sarge, another guy, well, Covington and Sarge went to Minnesota for Butler and Justin Patton, also Jared Bayless as well. But Sarge, with all the great things and the good things that he does, he wasn't a guy that was great at creating his own shot. Jimmy Butler is. He's a, he's a dog. He, he, he's an alpha dog. He's a, he's a guy that will try to lock you down defensively. He's a guy that can break you down off the dribble. He's a guy that can effectively create his own shot. And we've seen that. You know, he had two game winner, winners, excuse me, for the Philadelphia 76ers against the Nets and the Hornets. Before that, there really wasn't a guy that can, you know, line you up with the dribble, break you down, and step back and do what he has to do, whether that's a jump shot, whether it's a drive, whether it's anything. There wasn't a guy on that roster who was doing it like that the way Jimmy Butler has done it for the Philadelphia 76ers to this point. He's a guy that was missing. Now, where does that put Philadelphia in terms of what's going on in the Eastern Conference in terms of them getting to the NBA Finals? You look at the Eastern Conference, and you're talking about four teams. You're talking about the Toronto Raptors, and Toronto is tough with the addition of Kawhi Leonard. 23-7, and you go into Golden State without Kawhi Leonard, and you knock the doors off the Warriors. You got the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis, Atenacupo, uh, Middleton, you know, Bledsoe. A lot of talent there in Milwaukee. You got the Sixers, of course. Embiid, Simmons, Jimmy Butler. The Indiana Pacers, who have been playing some good basketball. Oladipo, Miles Turner, and those guys. And, of course, the Boston Celtics. And, and with the, 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 the plethora of talent that's in and Boston with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward and Horford and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and, you know, the list goes on and on and on when talking about the Boston Celtics who've gotten off to a slow start but have picked it up recently. Last 10, they're 8-2 and on a seven-game win streak. So obviously this Boston Celtic football team is starting to pick it up. Obviously this Boston Celtic football basketball team I said football team, didn't I? Obviously, the Boston Celtics basketball team is starting to pick it up. Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Toronto, and let's just add in Indiana as well. But I think the four teams, really, Toronto, Milwaukee, Philly, Boston. But where do the Sixers rank there? 
it's hard to say. On paper, I think the most talented team is Boston. But I think in terms of what we've seen to this point, the best team is probably the Toronto Raptors. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, I, I think, you know, sometimes we forget. Kawhi didn't play last season, so we don't we, we forgot that this guy is a finals MVP. We forgot that this guy is one of the better two-way players, if not the best two-way player in basketball. He can lock you up, and he can score. There's not much that Kawhi Leonard can't do. Now, DeMar DeRozan, as good as he was, anytime you have an opportunity to get a Kawhi Leonard and the only thing that's standing in the way is DeMar DeRozan. And also the possibility that if Kawhi doesn't resign, you're in huge trouble. But you make that move 10 times out of 10 times. Because here's the reality of the situation. DeMar DeRozan, you know, even with LeBron out of the Eastern Conference, would, would Toronto be the favorite if DeMar DeRozan was still in that roster? I would say probably not. I would say probably not. But we don't know. We'll never know. And Toronto, you know, Masai Yuri, they were obviously okay with taking the risk. Life is full of risks, and it's the ones that are not afraid to take the risk. The bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. And the reward for the Toronto Raptors, I mean, I'm looking at the Western Conference. And I'm looking at the Eastern Conference. No, the West, I mean, why can't the Toronto Raptors beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series if they had to? Because the Warriors, they don't like the Warriors that we all know and love. Now, 29 games into the season, and there is always a possibility that team when they turn it on and when they get right, they're going to be hard to beat. And I can't imagine, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, I don't see any team in seven in a seven-game series beating that Golden State Warrior team, if healthy, four times. And I mean healthy, I mean everybody. Because obviously, you know, Rockets were almost, were, were a Chris Paul injury away from beating this Warriors team. But this Warriors team went most of that series without Andre Iguodala. But if they're healthy, they're difficult. They're, they're not, I don't, I can't imagine. Put it this way. I wouldn't pick against that Warriors team. I'll put it to you that way. Now, you know, anything, anything is possible. But if healthy, I can't see it, man. I can't see it. I can be wrong. I can't say, but I'm, I'm looking at the Western Conference, and man, it, it is it is super jumbled. You know, you got obviously the eight teams, but you got two, four, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You got eleven of the fifteen teams in the Western Conference who are five hundred or better. Eleven. That's crazy. And then the two teams, the two other teams that are below 500, the Rockets are one game below 500, 
and the Timberwolves are two games below 500. So that Western Conference is jumbled. It's a mess. It's going to probably be like that for the rest of the season. Conversely, in the East, different story. You got two, four, six, seven, seven of the 15 teams in the Western, Eastern Conference, excuse me, are above 500. So obviously the West, still better, but I, I think you can make an argument that the top teams in the East, Philly, Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston, could be better than the top four. And I know Boston is five at this point, but I think Boston's better than Indiana. But let's just say five for the sake of argument. Top five in the Eastern Conference, Philly, Toronto, and there's no particular order. Actually, let's do it in order. Toronto, Milwaukee, Philly, Indy, Boston. Conversely, in the West, Denver, Golden State, OKC, Clippers, Lakers. I think those five teams in the East are better than those five teams out West. But obviously, the Western Conference in terms of the depth of the teams and meaning how good it is, that, how deep that conference is. It's deep. Like I said before, 11. 11. The teams in the Western Conference are 500 or better. Jazz, Rockets, Timberwolves, only ones that are below 500. The Jazz are one game under. Toronto, I mean, Houston's one game under, and Minnesota's two games under. So, that's all you need to know about the, how tough and how serious the Western Conference is. And that's why I was like earlier in the season, I was, and maybe I was prisoner of the moment. It happens. We all get caught up. But I was one of these guys who was thinking maybe the Lakers could be the team that's going to be outside looking at. But here's also the thing. While the Lakers are at five, they're half a game out of eight. While the Lakers are at five, they're two games on the ninth. While the Lakers are five, they're two and a half out of ten. While the Lakers are five, they're three out of eleven. You get my point? So the Lakers or any team in the Western Conference could be in a situation where they could, let's just think, on a three or four game losing streak. At that point, you could be on the outside looking in. That's how tough, that's how treacherous the Western Conference is. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out as the season goes along. But you do expect Houston to get better. You do expect Utah to be better. And I think you expect Portland to be better. And, and San Antonio's a tough team. There's a, a New Orleans. I mean, I'm looking at these teams on the outside looking in, and they're replaced by the Kings and the Nuck and the uh, Mavericks and the Grizzlies, three teams that we probably didn't think would be in a playoff race at any point this season. Still early. 82 games is a lot of games. And a lot can happen in 82. Good, bad, or what happened. But 82 is a lot. A lot of games. And you'll find out a lot about a lot of teams. You'll find out a lot of things about a lot of teams 
as the season progresses, as the season moves on. We'll see what happens, man. We'll, we'll definitely see what happens, but I'm going to be most definitely excited. And the parody, the parody that we have in the NBA, there's parody in the NBA. I don't think we've always, we, we've always couldn't say that when it comes to the NBA. I mean, last year, you know, the pick was, okay, here we go. Cavaliers, Warriors in the finals, Warriors win it. I mean, that was last year, and that was easy. I mean, it didn't really take much work, effort. Heck, you didn't have to. You didn't even have to. You didn't even, you didn't even have to watch the NBA. You didn't even have to watch it at all last season to know what was going to happen. This year's different. I, you know, I could I, I could make a case for Philly coming out of the East. I can make a case for Boston coming out of the East. I can make a case for Milwaukee and Toronto coming out of the East. I can make a case for all these teams that come out of the Eastern Conference. I could make that case last year. I look at the West. And I might be able to make a case that the Nuggets, who currently are number one in the Eastern Conference, defeat the Golden State Warriors. Might be able to make a case for OKC. Maybe, maybe could make a case for LeBron and them in Los Angeles. I could make some cases. I couldn't make those cases last year. Oh, Houston. Houston. I, I could have made that case with the Rockets. And you could argue that the Rockets could have easily beaten the, Rock, uh, the, the Warriors, probably should have beaten the Warriors. But, so, we'll see, man. Let's go to boxing now. Let's go to boxing. Love talking boxing. Wilder Fury. Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. First of all, the heavyweight division is bad in boxing. And when boxing is going well, the heavyweight division is at its best. Mike Tyson, 80s and 90s. Mike Tyson was the face of boxing. He put, and, and, you know, boxing held a different place in, in the hearts of fans at that point. Boxing at this point is more of a niche sport. But at that time, Mike Tyson was one of the biggest stars out there in any sport. Floyd Mayweather, to some degree, you know, obviously, I don't think he was at the level of Tyson in terms of, and, and, and I think that's also a byproduct of where the sport was then, but in terms of, you know, popularity, he wasn't like Tyson. In terms of financial gain, Tyson made a lot of money now. Floyd made a lot more, but Tyson made a lot of money. But anyway, heavyweight division is bad. And you got three guys in Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, three legitimate guys who, you know, are legit heavyweights, guys with a level of popularity, 
guys who are because here's the thing. During the era of the Klitschko's, Vitaly and Vladimir, there really wasn't anybody else. You knew that Klitschko was, you know, and he was a little boring doing it. Didn't have, you know, he's robotic. And it didn't have, and the personality was just as robotic. You got guys now, you know, Joshua with a little personality, Wilder with a lot of personality, and Fury with a lot of personality. Guess what? That sells, man. That's huge. You got a lot of guys that can transcend boxing, which is great. So the heavyweight division is in a great spot right now. It's a great spot. It really is. And, and you know, where it goes from here, do we get Wilder Fury too? I'd love to see it. Do we get Wilder Joshua? I would love to see it. Do we get uh, Joshua Fury? I would love to see it. I mean, I, I would love to see any one of those matchups. So, again, if, if Wilder Fury want to do it again, sign me up. I, was, I signed up for the first one. I dropped my $70. I watched Wilder Fury. Sign me up. If Wilder Joshua want to get it on, I'll drop my $70. Sign me up. If Fury Joshua wouldn't get it on, I'll drop my $70. Sign me up. So, and you look at the reported number, you're looking at 325 buys reportedly, pay-per-view buys. That's huge. That's huge. Not a lot of guys can do that number. Outside of Canelo, outside of Floyd, Mayweather, and outside of Pacquiao. You you don't have a lot of guys that can 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 get you 325 buys. A lot of buys. That's a lot of people who wanted to see this fight. I didn't think it was going to get that high. I thought we were going to get around 150 to 200k. I didn't expect 325, three plus. I didn't expect that, and, and that's cool. That's great. Because boxing, hey, while there's some guys who are making money, there's a lot of guys who's not. And so boxing is a is a physically demanding sport, but it's a dirty game. And a lot of dirty things go on in the sport of boxing. Very unregulated. Not like the NFL and, and, and baseball and MLB and NBA, hockey. Sports that are regulated. Boxing is, is just loose. It's very loose. Great sport, though. And, but I will say this. No one does a big event like boxing. When, when Mayweather and McGregor fought, how many people had? It was like Super Bowl from, in some respect. How many people had Mayweather-McGregor parties, fight parties? When Mayweather-Pacquiao fought, how many people had Mayweather-Pacquiao fight parties? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mayweather Pacquiao didn't always live up. Didn't live up to, to, to what we wanted. It, it wasn't a great fight, but to me it was a good fight. Mayweather McGregor kind of went the way we thought it would go. More of a, I think people just watching and purchasing because the what ifs. Because of the, 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 it was a spectacle. It wasn't, you know, you, you, you kind of figured that Floyd would win. But you were wondering whether or not 
Conor McGregor could get that punch in? Could he get that lucky punch? And everybody, I guess, at the end of the day, anytime you put on gloves, anytime you step into the ring, you always have that puncher's chance. We all wondered if McGregor could somehow, some way, pull off some kind of lucky punch. Obviously, he didn't. And ultimately, he was stopped by Mayweather. But this fight, and obviously this fight didn't have the height that Mayweather Pacquiao and, and Mayweather McGregor had. But this fight, you know, it lived up. You got your money's worth. You, you got a fight. You got a classic heavyweight fight. You got a puncher versus a boxer. And for most of that fight, the boxer, you know, he had, Wilder had that moment in the ninth where he dropped him. And, and I watched the fight again. And, you know, I know Mayweather said 5-0 Fury the first five rounds, but I, I looked at it again. I could have made a case for Wilder in, in, in some of those rounds. So at the end of the day, Wilder needed five rounds to being that he had the two knockdowns. He needed five rounds to make it a draw. And to me, I can make a case where Wilder got those five rounds. And, and on some people's scorecard, you can make the case that Wilder won. But it, was, it wasn't a robbery like that. It wasn't. I know Lennox Lewis said it reminded him of his fight with Evander Holyfield. Holyfield Lewis won. It wasn't like that. That fight wasn't really close. This fight was close because Fury went to the mat not one but two times. And that second time he went to the mat, man, I thought it was a wrap. I thought it was a wrap. And I think everybody thought it was a wrap. Everybody. They thought, that it, they thought it was a done deal. But he rose up like the Undertaker. And he got up. And guess what? He put some decent work in that round. You know, had Wilder stunned in that round. And Wilder had to back off ultimately. And, you know, he couldn't go for the knockout. But Wilder thought he was done. The world thought he was done. Fortunately for Fury, he was the only one who knew he wasn't done. And ultimately, he got up. Now, again, it was not a robbery. You can argue that Fury won, and I think you can argue that Wilder won. But it was not a, a, a robbery. But here's the beauty of it. Get a draw, get to see it again. And we'll see when or if we'll see it again. Do we'll, we'll see if guys maybe take, you know, maybe Wilder takes a fight. Maybe sure he takes another fight before they get into this one. I honestly think, honestly think, if they do it again, that Wilder will catch him sooner. Because the reality is, it was just a matter if Wilder, Wilder has that type of power, if he touches you, you're going. You're going. And it was the same against Luis Ortiz. Luis Ortiz, you know, was boxing. And Wilder, you're going to outbox him. And Luis Ortiz outboxed him for most of that fight. But Wilder what? That power, man. Dropped him, I think, in the fifth. He was stunned in the seventh. Dropped him in the tenth. Twice. The second one stopped. You know, that was the end of the fight. But 
the power of Deontay Wilder and his ability to to get you out of there. He's all flaws and all. His ability to get you out of there, his ability to, you know, if he touches you, you're going. You're going. Happened to Ortiz and happened to Fury. Fury just happened to get up. And you wonder. I forgot who the referee was in that Ortiz fight, but that second knockdown in round 10, he stopped that fight right away. You wonder if he was a referee in this fight, would he have done the same? Because Fury was on his back. But he got up. And, you know, sadly, on that same day, hopefully we'll get to see Fury Wilder, too. Can't wait. We'll see it at some point, I believe. And I can't wait to see it. But sadly, earlier in that day, we had Adonis Stevenson, who was dropped, stopped, and ultimately had to be placed in a, you know, in a coma, a medically induced coma, had to get some surgery on his brain, had some brain trauma. Um, and at this point, we don't know where he's at. You know, he's, he's still stable, last report. But that's the thing about boxing, man. It, it's, you know, he took one too many shots. And so you just don't know. That's why I've always wanted these guys, hey, I'm okay with you stopping. It's better to stop it sooner than to stop it. It's better to stop it too soon than too late. Because you stop it too late, something bad can happen. You stop it too soon, you might have lost, but you still got your life. Easier for me to say because I'm not in there. But at the end of the day, your life, you, you know, if you can't do boxing or, or, or you can't make the money that you thought you could or wanted to make, at the end of the day, you still can live and you're still alive. So we'll see what happens. And, yeah, we, we talk about Donna Stevenson, all the bad things he may have done, you know, as a pimp earlier in his life and so on and so forth. I'm not with that. I'm not with that. I'm not, you know, that's what he did. He played his time. And, and again, whatever he did is what he did. I'm not here to judge that. It's bad, obviously, but hey, I'm not here to judge that. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say this is his karma or, or, or this is what he deserved, so on and so forth. I ain't doing that. But, you know, my prayers are out to Adonis Stevenson and his family. Hopefully he can get well. Hopefully he can pull through moving forward. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash begin. Check us out on iHeartRadio, iHeart.com. Look up, go for it. Look up, go for it, G-O-4-I-T, G-O-4-I-T, the number four. So you go there, Stitcher, Paul Gant, look under there. So you go all these different places. Check me out there. Check this show out there. And also, go to GoForRadio.com. We've got a lot of great stories up there. Talk some sports, have a little fun doing it. Talk a bunch of different things on GoForRadio.com. So make sure you head you make sure you head over there and support that as well. For everybody here at GoFor, we hope you have a great day. See you later. Take care.